You're listening to a message from New Life Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Sure. Thank you, Annette. Thank you. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. That's what I'll do. What if, what if the worst thing that ever happened to you, what if the worst thing that ever happened to you could be the best thing that ever happened to you? What if the hardest thing that you've ever gone through, your family has ever gone through, what if that could be the one thing that God uses more than anything else to work good in your life? What if? What if something that is a mess, something that's broken, something that's busted in these very areas of your life where God decides to demonstrate his beauty, where God decides to demonstrate his power, his redemption more than anything else? I'm just asking. What if one of the worst, one of the most difficult things that you have ever gone through, what if that happens to be the thing that God uses to bring beauty about in your life, that He brings grace about in your life. Is it even possible? Is it possible for God to work something out like that in our lives? This morning, we're going to take a look at some ways that God comes into somebody's life when everything's a mess, when everything's broken, when everything's in disarray, when life has gone off the road, and maybe you've experienced this, that it's gone off the road and you felt like you had control, you thought you were holding the steering wheel, and everything was going well, and you had no idea, but then it happened. And it happened to you. Before, it always happened to somebody else. But now, it's your story. Now, it's your narrative. Now, It has happened to you. It's your life. And it seems beyond putting back together because because it's easier to pretend that everything's okay. It's, It's easier to act as though nothing has ever happened and you just keep making your way. You just keep moving forward. But what if Jesus could come into that wreck and do something beautiful? What if he could take that situation, take the broken pieces and do what He does. Do what Jesus does. What if? Now, some of you may not know this, but there are a lot of people in this room, a collection of people who have had these beautiful collisions with Jesus. People who have experienced difficulties. Difficulties because of things that have happened to them. Difficulties because of some of the choices they've made. I've had many of my friends tell me about the moment their life collided with Jesus. And if you were to hear those stories today, I think it would astound you. It would amaze you because they've said things like, my life collided with Jesus when on that day I was told that I had terminal cancer. My life collided with Jesus when I was sitting on my couch about to take my life and instead I felt the presence of God and I prayed. My life collided with Jesus when I found myself in a jail cell and God brought me to my senses. 
I mean, one story after another after another where someone's life collided with Jesus and they found his grace, his forgiveness, his healing, his recovery. And why do we, why do we tell stories like this? Why do we talk about these things that have happened in our lives where we've collided with Jesus? We talk about this because this is the way that God has brought beauty to our lives. It doesn't mean that there was no pain. It doesn't mean that there was no heartache. It doesn't mean that everything turned out okay. What it means is there was something that went really, really wrong. And in that moment, they experienced Jesus like they've never experienced Jesus before. We're going to meet a man today who had a front row seat during the final hours of Jesus' life. Someone who viewed Jesus up close and personal in the depth of agony, in the depth of despair. We don't know a lot about this man. We don't know much about his personal life. We do know what he did for a living. And what he did for a living tells us things about him. This man was a, a Roman centurion. And as a Roman centurion, that meant that he had been a soldier most of his life. He worked his way up the ranks to the place where he had this position where he oversaw a hundred other men. We know this Roman centurion had watched men die. And we know that this Roman centurion had killed men. We know this on the day that he finds Jesus and the day that we meet him. It's just another day for him. It's just another day at the office. He's just going about his work like he always does. He's going to torture and kill a Jewish agitator. And this one man's name happened to be Jesus. Not an uncommon name for the time. In fact, in Hebrew, the name is Yahshua. There were a lot of little boys that were given that name that grew up that way. But when Pilate had Jesus flogged, it would have been this man and other soldiers who would have just been carrying out orders, who would, have, who, who would have just been doing their duty. And so he's responsible for stripping Jesus of his clothes. He's responsible for tying the arms of the Son of God on that flogging post. He's responsible for whipping Jesus. This man was an expert at bringing people to the edge of death. And make no mistake about it, this was a gory, bloody, awful scene But they knew how to do it. They were trained to do it. That was their job. That's what they woke up in the morning thinking about. That's what the Roman centurion saw, what he witnessed. He knew what he was doing. The centurion and the other Roman soldiers have tortured, they've killed people so many times that they had to find distractions. They had to find other ways to go about their jobs. So what do they do? They make fun. They mock the one that is put on trial. They mock the one that they're in charge of beating. And so they take these thorns, this thorny bush kind of thing, and they wrap it into a kind of a crown, a mock crown, and they stick it over the head of Jesus, and they push it down. Physicians tell us that there aren't very many nerve endings in the head, but there are a lot of capillaries, and what would have happened is Jesus would have bled profusely. Blood would have just been gushing from his head. It would have gotten into his hair and matted his hair and filled his ears. His back would have been laid open. He was brought right to that point of death. They took a a, a purple robe and they thought they would just have a little more fun. 
here it is, the king of the Jews, and let's, let's put a robe on him. Let's make him look like a, a fake king. And so here's my point. If there was ever, ever a man from whom it was too late, if there was ever a person who was too calloused, if ever there was a person too hard-hearted, if ever there was a person who had gone too far, it would have been this man. If ever there was a person who would have missed Jesus and the power of Christ, it would have been this Roman centurion. It would have gone right over the top of his head. I want to give you a a few reasons why this centurion would have had a difficult time being open to Jesus. What predisposed him to being closed down? What predisposed him to being so calloused in what he did? And I think when you listen to this, if we're honest and we examine our own hearts, we, we might find a little bit of that in each one of us. Some of you may relate to some of these reasons. Number one, the first thing I think of is his background. He wasn't Jewish. He was a Roman. So he didn't grow up hearing about the Messiah. He, he, he didn't grow up paying attention to the prophecies. He, he didn't celebrate the celebrations. He didn't celebrate Passover. He didn't do any of these kinds of things. He had been around long enough to become familiar with Jewish tradition, but he probably thought that they were pretty crazy. He probably thought it was pretty bizarre stuff. It probably seemed pretty odd to him, especially the Passover, when they took an unblemished, an unblemished lamb and and they brought it up to an altar and they cut its throat and it bled and they put it on that altar and they, they burn it. All of this probably seemed to be pretty strange to him. My guess is at best a centurion thought that Jesus was an inspirational teacher. Because he heard, he saw the, the crowds gather around Jesus like no one else. When he opened his mouth, when he preached, when he taught, he He told stories like no one else could tell stories, and the people were amazed. But more likely, that centurion thought that Jesus was just this crazy insurrectionist, a carpenter who had not been playing with a full deck. He wasn't all there. Jesus really didn't matter to him. Jesus had nothing in common with him. He had nothing in common with Jesus. And for some of you, this, this, this might be where you're at. You just aren't sure about all this stuff. You, di- you didn't grow up with it. You, you didn't grow up in church. You didn't, you didn't grow up hearing the Sunday school lessons. You didn't grow up singing in the kids' choir. Uh, you, you, didn't grow up, you didn't grow up that way. You didn't grow up going to church with your family. That's not your background. You might be here because you recognize that things aren't going that well for you. You know, that, that, that the life just isn't, isn't going the way that you had planned. And, and you might be thinking to yourself, uh, what do I have to lose here? I can try this out. It's not going to do me any harm. I, I can do this. But this wasn't the way that you were brought up. It seems a, a little bizarre. It seems a little different, people standing up and singing songs and, you know, lifting their hands. It's like, yeah, I'm a little uncomfortable with all that. It's just not the way that, that I grew up. That's not my background. You're here, but you you just aren't sure what to do with Jesus. It's fine for other people, but it's really not your thing. You just aren't sure what to do with church. You're, You're not sure what to do with Jesus. Your background just isn't that. I think there's probably another reason the centurion would have 
had a hard time being open to Jesus. Not only was his background different, so different than Jesus, but I think another reason is his prejudice. He, he likely had a deep prejudice toward the Jewish people. Uh, he, he hated the place that he was stationed. He didn't want to be stationed in Palestine. That, that's a tough gig. You know, when he spent time there, it was just with a lot of ornery, angry people. Most of the time was out in the wilderness, in the desert. He was trying to keep these people under control. He, he just had this deep-seated prejudice toward the Jewish people. The Jews were known for being people who were very difficult to get along with. The Romans looked at them, they, they looked at them as inferior people, kind of subhuman. There was name-calling, ridicule, racial slurs were hurled back and forth. So here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying here is that because of the prejudice he felt towards God's people, it would have made it difficult and and almost impossible for him to be open to Jesus. Because he gained his opinion about God from the people he was hanging out with. And he really didn't like the people that he was hanging out with. Does Does that sound familiar at all? Like how we felt about God's people made it difficult for him to be receptive to Jesus. I want to do something. I want to just do something real quick. I want to play a word association game. And I'm going to, I'm going to bring a word to you. And you just, you just kind of maybe shout out what the first thing that comes to your mind. Listen, there are no wrong answers, okay? No wrong answers. Might be weird answers, but, but there are no wrong answers. For instance, if I said the word the word cat, and you said skateboard or something. That's weird. That's kind of weird, you know. But if I said the word cat, what would be the first thing you would think about? Yeah, dogs, cats, allergies. I heard, heard a little bit of that. Allergies. How about flavor? When I say the word flavor, I heard ice cream. I heard steak. Mallory, I know what you're thinking about right now. How about the word furniture? Comfortable, couch. Yeah. How about the word dentist? Dentist. Yeah, yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Sorry, Dennis, if there are any dentists in here. Ouch. I mean, it really is associated probably with, with pain or something like that. You, 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 do, you know that. How about the word Christian? I, I heard it. Yeah, love. That might, that might be one. That might be the experience that we've had. But, but I, I, I know this. I, I know that for a lot of people, their common association with that word Christian would be things like judgmental, boring, angry, political. I think that what, that, that's what happens is oftentimes people don't like Christians and so they don't really consider Christ. I've been around long enough to know that if you are a Christian, this might be some of your story where people you've been associated with, people you've spent time with, these are the first words that come to their mind. Negative things about the Christian faith. You know, I used to be a little defensive with that. I did. I used to really get defensive with that. I really don't anymore. I don't get defensive anymore. I understand it. You know, you may have been hurt and you may have been turned off and you have associated that with Jesus uh, and you put up some walls, you put up some barriers. So maybe it was your gossiping friend or your arrogant boss or your judgmental sibling or your narrow-minded neighbor and you thought, I I don't want to be like them. You know, I don't want to be like them. And so you've turned away from them 
but you've also turned away from Jesus. Over the years, I think there, there have been people that, that I've talked to outside of church, about church, and I've had some interesting comments. And when I would talk to them, I would think, well, I, I, I'm going to ask them what about church and, and why they don't associate with church because they're not in church. And, and I was surprised at some of the answers that I, I, I've been given over the years. You know, you'd think some of the answers would be like, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the Bible, I'm not sure that Jesus really rose from the dead, I'm not sure that he's really the Son of God. But I can tell you this, most of my conversation with people outside of church who aren't in church, um, I've often heard more stories about their encounters with Christians. And basically they would say, I, I just, I don't like Christians. So why would I go to church isn't that where Christians hang out? Don't they hang out in church? And that's where they kind of spend their time. They all kind of collect together. I mean, it's like one concentrated dose. You know, why, why would I want to do something like that? And that tends to be the main reason why a lot of people avoid Jesus. And that's why it's hard for them to consider Jesus because when the people who call themselves Jesus followers have hurt them, it, it's difficult to associate There's another reason why I think the centurion would have been closed, would not have been open to Jesus, and it's because of familiarity. Not only background and prejudice, but familiarity. He had seen this. You know, he had seen this. If he'd seen it once, he'd seen it a thousand times. He he had done this so many times before, so much so that it, it turned into a game for him. It just became sport for him. It just was kind of an opportunity to to just mock people who came to the cross. They had been part of of these scourgings, these Roman centurions, this Roman centurion and his soldiers. They they had become methodical. It had become a a nasty business, but he had grown accustomed to it. Just taking orders, doing his job, doing what he's told to do. He's heard all the screams. He's heard all the groans. He's heard all the cries from the cross. He has heard it all. Over this period of time, by the time he becomes a Roman soldier and a a centurion, he's heard it. He had smelt the blood. He had listened to the begging. He knew what to expect. And you get the impression that they're pretty casual about this, that they're just having fun with it, playing games at the foot of the cross, gambling with the clothes of Jesus. Jesus is dying for them, and they're playing games. And they don't even realize it. They don't even recognize it. And if we can be honest, if we can really be honest with ourselves, that might be where some of us are, or at least part of us are. And it's not because you don't care. It's just because you've heard it all before. I mean, you've been around. You've heard it. You've heard this, if you've heard it once again, you've heard it a thousand times. We know the stories. We know what happened. We've become sort of apathetic to this Easter season. I've been through it a, a bunch of times. I kind of know the story. I, I know the narrative. I, I, know, I know what they're going to say next. I know what they're going to preach about. And maybe like the soldiers, we, we, we have a game on our mind. There's something else on our mind. And there are a lot of other things that have our attention this time of year. A lot of other things that we're, we're thinking about. There's just a lot of other important stuff right now. And, and you know what? We, we just dismiss it. 
We're hearing people talk about the stories. We know they're getting ready. We know we're ramping up for that Easter weekend where we all show up and we say together, He's risen, He's risen indeed. But maybe really, you know, in your heart, your emotions, you're just kind of just going about your business. It's so familiar to you. But even the centurion could not avoid a collision with Jesus because after Jesus was crucified on the cross, he reached his conclusion about Jesus. And once he believed, it changed everything. This obscure individual, we find something happens to him. And it's in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 39 And it says this, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Something happened. Something changed everything. Surely this man was the Son of God. Luke and John say that this man, at the point where Jesus died, he worshipped Jesus. What changed? I mean, what made a difference here? The Roman centurion, the least likely of people to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Son of God. So what was it that got his attention? What was it that opened his eyes and made a difference? What was it that impacted, influenced his heart? We know that the ground shook that day. We know the sky drew dark. But that could have just been a coincidence. That could have been just... Something that happened at that moment. We know that Mark says that he saw how Jesus died. So in other words, I think there was something about how Jesus died that was so different than how all the others died. All the others that he had crucified time and time again. But there was just something different about the way this man, Jesus, died. We don't know for sure, but... My guess is that the centurion would have certainly realized at some point that Jesus didn't have to be there. Jesus was there out of his own will. And he's probably thinking to himself, what kind of man does this? I mean, what kind of person does this where he's being laid down? He's not fighting the nails, but he's opening his arms to them. The centurion knew that Jesus could just say the word and it would all be over. That Jesus commanded legions of angels. He could have called himself down. He could have said, okay, time out, it's over. I'm not going to do this. But that order doesn't come. Make no mistake. No one takes the life of Jesus. He lays it down. He voluntarily surrenders. He lays his life down. Or maybe it was something else that he heard Jesus say. He heard Jesus say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm not sure that that would have made a big difference. I'm not sure he would have really understood the context of that. Because it's a quote out of Psalm 22. He had no reason to read the Psalms. He had no reason to read the Old Testament. No reason whatsoever. But he hears this man cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That what was happening is Jesus was becoming his sin. Jesus was becoming our sin. He was made sin for us. He was carrying the burden of the world upon his shoulders. He was separate 
He was forsaken by God in that moment, and he cries out. But the centurion wouldn't have connected the dots there. He wouldn't have really known because plenty of people cry out in agony like that. Plenty of people yell things like that on the cross and in their deepest despair. They do. But the centurion, he, he wouldn't have connected the dots. He would have heard Jesus speak to his mother in such tender and, and gentle terms when he looked to his mother and said, Now look to my beloved John. Now you two are a family. And Jesus was taking care of his family in the deepest anguish of his life. He's just taking care of his mother. He's taking care of her and watching over her. But he he heard others being crucified speak of their family members from the cross. This wasn't unusual. I, I think what really turned the heart of the centurion wasn't the cries, it wasn't the conversations, it wasn't the agony. But it was the words that Jesus prayed for him. He'd heard lots of prayers. Prayers coming from the cross, bringing wrath from heaven. Prayers coming from those in anguish, calling vengeance on those that victimize them. But when Jesus prays, it's a prayer that, that he never heard before. It's a prayer that separated Jesus from all of those others that died on the cross. A prayer that, that was so foreign to his ears. Because when Jesus prays, he says, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. You see, instead of wrath, it's grace. Instead of bitterness, it's forgiveness. Instead of hate, it's love. I think that was the moment. I think that was the moment he had a beautiful collision with Jesus Christ. That was the moment that melted his heart. What do you do with that kind of love? What do you do with that kind of grace? What else can you do but be changed by it? Can you imagine being the centurion? Can you imagine nailing the Son of God to the cross and then you hear Him speak love and forgiveness over your life for the very thing that you had just committed against Him? Can you imagine how that had to pierce His heart, open His mind? You hear Him speak grace. I think this just wrecks the centurion. I think this brings him on that beautiful collision with Christ. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it explains what God has done for us. It says, but he, is, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. So maybe like the centurion, you have struggled with church. You've struggled with you know, God's people at one time or another. Maybe you've been hurt by people you thought were safe. I would just say this. I would say, I'm sorry. I am. That, that breaks my heart. I'm sorry that, that that's your experience. But can I say this? Please don't look away from Jesus. Whatever that hurt might be, whatever that experience might be, whatever it is that you've gone through that has brought pain, 
Please don't turn from Jesus. Maybe it's like the centurion. You've heard it all before. Or maybe you never heard it before. (laughs) Maybe you're not familiar. You didn't grow up in church. I want to make one thing clear this morning. If we can make anything clear as we go into this next week of Christ's passion, I want to say this to everyone in the room here. Christ died for you. He took your sins on His shoulders. That whatever might stand in the way today, whatever is getting in the way of you seeing that and having your heart changed. Just be honest with that. Open your heart and say, Christ Jesus has died for me. Would you bow your head with me? I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward and Before we conclude today, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, can all of us say this in the room today? Can we say this together? Jesus died for me. Would you say that? Jesus died for me. And that changes everything. Maybe you're someone here that already has gotten a hold of that, that that you have reached out to Christ in faith and you've said yes. I believe that. He's taken my sins. He's given me forgiveness. He's offered me eternal life, everlasting life. And I, and I believe that. I, I take a hold of that. I, I'm living that way now. But there may be others that when you say Jesus died for me, it's not, it's not real to you yet. I mean, what you've said is true. Jesus died for you. you, you that's true. But it hasn't become that personal truth in your life. You just you haven't embraced that. And it may be for some of the reasons the centurion wasn't open as well. It could be because of your background. It could be because of a prejudice. It could be because of familiarity. It could be any of those reasons. But if you're here today and, and you haven't you haven't made his life, his death, his resurrection real to you. You can now. You can this moment. That you can say, Christ died for me. And really mean it. If you're here today and, and you want to make that statement, Jesus died for me, real to you by embracing Jesus Christ, just like the centurion, would you do this? Would you just, with heads bowed, eyes closed, just lift your hand for me just for a moment. And, and I just want to see where you are. Because he has died for you. He's taken away sin. He's brought forgiveness. He's brought grace to our lives. I'm so thankful for that. Father, today, we're so grateful for what you've done in our lives, that we have, we have, we have looked at the crucifixion through a lens that probably doesn't get looked through that often. Just kind of one single statement. We might not even notice when we read through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 15. But here's this one man. And of all people, we would think he would not be the one opened to receiving Christ and the power of salvation. He does. That means none of us are beyond reach. 
Thank you. Father, we, we ask that this next week, as we go into this Passion Week, that we would see the things that you have provided for us, the things that you have done to make a way for us. You're a good God. And we want to thank you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.